0: we're looking at Exodus 20 today. Exodus 20. This is not a pew Bible. Because you know, you know, I know it's page 58 in there. There you go. For all of you who are going to be preachers someday, always practice with the Bible that most of the people have. It just makes life easier. Page 58, Exodus 20. Now, Exodus 20 is about the Ten Commandments. And those of you uh, who've been worshiping with us on Mondays know that we've been preaching through each one of the commandments in turn. Um, And so tomorrow, for example, is you shall not commit adultery. And it's tempting for us to think, oh, I don't have to go with that one because I'm not married. does not apply. Uh, But it does apply. Because it's really about what does it mean to have a sex life that glorifies God. So tomorrow... Amina Bradford, our co-associate chaplain for residence life, will be preaching on that. Um, so tomorrow, you shall not commit adultery. Oh, you should not commit adultery every day, but tomorrow you can hear, hear about why, why you shouldn't commit adultery. No extra charge for that. So, so we've been going through the commandments step by step by step. So today we're not going to look at the individually. We're going to look at the whole of them, the block of them. What do they mean? What is God trying to do with these ten rules, these ten laws? Where does this come from? Now, in Exodus 19, he sets the stage. He has uh, Moses get the people purified. They wash. They get holy. And he says to them, you can't come close because something big is going to happen here, and you can't draw near. Only Moses and Aaron can come up and down the mountain. And it's thick darkness, and there's lightning and thunder, and there's a lot going on. And when everything's all set, then we pick it up here at Exodus 20. Then God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself an idol whether in the form of anything that's in heaven above or that's on the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh oh, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, the alien resident in your town... For in 6 days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them but rested the 7th day and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you You shall not murder You shall not commit adultery You shall not steal You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor You should not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. For God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. And the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. So when you were young, let's imagine you're having a really fine afternoon, you're up in your room, you're doing something you love, like you're playing Pokemon, Right, Or you're reading like one of those babysitter club books. Like you're, you're really, you're into it. You're in the zone. You're having a good time. And your mom walks into your room and she says, um, uh, you need to pick up the room. And you're like in the zone. You are in your happy place. And you say to your mom, why? Why do I need to pick up my room? And what was the worst reason your mom could give you for why you had to pick up the room? Because I said so! That's exactly right. Because I said so. Because what's the rebuttal to that? No, you didn't. (laughs) Right? There's no rebuttal to because I said so. It's like, ah! Because I said so. Because I said so is not a reason that moves people toward each other. Right? In fact, you kind of build up a little bit of resentment over somebody who says, oh, you have to do that because I said so. Because I said so. The Israelites have lived four hundred and thirty years doing what other people said because they said so. You gotta make bricks. You gotta make a hundred of them an hour? Because I said so. You gotta get the wall this high before you go home, because I said so. You gotta take your baby boys and you have to throw them in the Nile, because I said so. You have to make bricks. You have to make them without straw, because I said so. And so for generation to generation to generation, this people had grown up thinking that law meant control, thinking that law was the way that the people in power kept people oppressed, because their entire experience of law had been, you serve me because I said so. We can still see this, right? If Those of you who study history, which is all of you since you're taking CORE at Calvin College. (laughs) When you study history, you can see that when one person or one group of people gets all the power, they start just declaring things, because I said so. Do you know in North Korea, you can't wear blue jeans because they said so. It's true. There's a country in the former Soviet bloc. The leader said he wanted to name the month of January after himself. Because he said so. You can see this all through history. The laws get weird when one person is in charge and is just doing things willy-nilly because I said so. And that leads people to be resentful. We sometimes get resentful of the laws that feel like they're placed on us just because somebody said so. Those open house rules are crazy. Somebody just said that (laughs) because I said so. I have to wear a seatbelt every time because somebody says so. (laughs) That whole drinking before you're 21 can't do that whole thing, that's somebody just trying to oppress us because they said so. So this has been silted into Israel's soul from generation to generation to generation that law is about control, law is about keeping people down, law is about hierarchy and power. And they've been three months out of Egypt by now. Three months out of Egypt. And those of you who are doing the Bible study know that there was a little bit of problem with their ordering system. And Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, came and he's observing things. And he's like, Moses, y'all need a little help here. And he sets up a whole system for organizing the people and getting them going. But that wasn't enough. They needed more. They needed purpose. They needed to understand who they were. They needed Law. And God wants to give them the gift of law, but He knows that they've lived for generations of because I said so. And so, what God does instead is He takes an earthly relationship and He uses it to apply to Him and Israel. You see, back then, there would, people would form covenants with each other that would benefit both parties. Let's say you were a king and you lived in a city and that city had walls and that was a safe place. And there were farmers who lived out in the countryside and when somebody was coming to attack your city, they would just like plow over the farmers to get to your city. So the farmers would come and they would ask for protection from the king of the city. And the king of the city would say, sure, I'll, I'll let you do that, but how about you give me 10% of your harvest? And they would say, that sounds like a good idea. So they would write up this covenant. They would write up a covenant between the two parties. And it would start like this. I, the king of the walled city, have given you protection in my beautiful place. Therefore, you shall give me 10% of your harvest. And they would chisel this away in tablets. You get one tablet. You get one tablet, maybe a little tablet. And that's how the covenant would be made. And it was a win-win. Because the farmers would come in and they would have protection. And the king would have enough food to feed everybody. And it everything worked out. And it happened because there was relationship. And so the most important part of the Ten Commandments chapter is actually the very first part. Where God says, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Because what he's doing there is he's taking the law and he's placing it as part of their story. Because those, that little sentence covers a lot of ground, right? It's covered everything that we've studied so far. Brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's, that's pretty big. That's like Shipra and Pua, and you got Moses, and you got the plagues, and you got the whole crossing of the sea, and then you got the water and the manna and the quail. I mean, that's, that's quite a list. I, the Lord your God, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, it'd be really good if you committed to not having any gods except me. Do you see how he's framing it? in relationship. He's framing it as a covenant partner with them. I do this for you, and you do this for me. And there's this win-win. Because if you obey, you flourish, you get blessed. And you can sense in the five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that what God really wants to do is bless His people. He, He really likes that. He strongly prefers it when they obey and he gets to bless them. He loves that. It breaks his heart when they disobey. So God lays all of this out to say this isn't because I said so. This is because I saved you. That's very different, right? a very different thing. If your mom came into your room and she said, um, you, you got to clean your room up. This, this has just got to change right here. And you said, mom, why? Why do I have to clean my room? And she said, I give birth to you. I feed you. I clothe you. I'm currently paying your tuition. You'd be like, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> Mom, if it's all it's going to take to make you happy is for me to clean my room, watch me do it. Watch me do it right here. Because you have done so much for me. The least I can do is a little light dusting and vacuuming, okay? Happy to do that for you, Lord, because you've done so much for me. Right? It shapes all differently then. So when God comes to us and he says, I am the Lord, your God. He wants a relationship. With us. He gives us his law and he invites us to obey, not because he said so, but because he saved us. That's pretty big. It's also important to note that the language throughout this entire chapter, in fact, the language throughout the entire giving of the law that goes on from here, is plural. Obedience is about the community. It's about all of us together pulling in the same direction. Now, there's a temptation, particularly in health and wealth gospel, to think that my personal obedience should guarantee me blessing. That if I obey, that if I say, I have no other gods before you, and I'm not going to take your name in vain, or I have no statues of any other gods in my room, and I'm going to you know, Skype with my parents later, and I'll be nice to them, and... Um, I haven't stole from the dining hall, and um, could be an area of inquiry for you, you know. I, and I, I don't lie to people about you know I was sick, I was sleeping, and 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 I you know I don't covet other people's you know like GPA or MacBook Pros or anything like. If I follow all the commandments exactly, then God should bless me. That's the way this should work. My obedience should guarantee my blessing. Except, there's nothing in Scripture about that. That's like saying, obedience are the quarters that I put in the machine, and if I put just enough obedience quarters in the machine, then all God's candy's got to come on out. But obedience is done in community and for community. The obedience of the people of Israel is done so that all of them flourish together. And the disobedience of one can mean the downfall of many. Some of you know the story that comes up a few books later in the book of Joshua. Joshua is then leading the Israelites and they're doing this campaign across the land to take the land and give it to God And there's a battle in a particular city, and they lose the battle. And Joshua says to God, I don't understand. Why did we lose? And God said, because one person disobeyed. And they go, and some of you know this story, they go by tribes, and they go by clans, and then they go by families, and they find the one person who stole what he wasn't supposed to steal. Not only did the entire community suffer a loss in battle because of one person's actions, but this person and his entire family are stoned because of his disobedience. Your obedience is not just about you. Your obedience is about us. We all need to obey together so that our community as a whole flourishes You can see an example of this in Acts 2 after the experience of Pentecost and the church is alive and everyone starts to just share and give and trust and pray and everybody's living for everybody else and the community is blessed and blessed and blessed. Wouldn't it be amazing if Calvin College became that kind of place? That instead of thinking that your disobedience wasn't hurting anybody so you didn't have to tell anybody about it, you didn't have to work on it, you actually said, Oh, my disobedience is hurting people, whether they know about it or not. What if we said, we're gonna be people who obey? What if what if you said you as a house or you as a floor, we're all gonna keep Sabbath? You thought if there's a commandment that we need to follow, that's actually gonna, you know, give us like sleep and rest and a relief from anxiety. If God actually gave us the order that we had to do that, wouldn't that be such a good thing? Oh, he did. <laughs> so what would it look like if you as a community decided to practice Sabbath together and the obedience of one swirled into the obedience of many? Or what if you and your housemates decided that you were all going to be sexually pure and you were going to hold each other accountable and you were going to have frank conversations about what that meant. What that meant about dating, what that meant about pornography, what that meant about what kind of movies you watched and television you watched and music you listened to. What if you and your Bible study group said, you know what we want to do? We want to stop coveting. We're gonna we're gonna say what are the things that we really want that other people have. We're just gonna say it out loud, and it could be everything from that person has great parents, and you know what I I covet that because that's not that's not my experience. This person schools come so easy for them. Man, that's hard for me to see sometimes. This person has a car. If I had a car, I could get a part-time job. I think finances would be a little easier for me, but I just, that's just not part of my story. That person is beautiful. I am not beautiful. I covet her beauty. Can you imagine what it would look like If your group of friends, your Bible study, your music group, your team, your floor, your house, your group said, I want to obey so that all y'all are going to be blessed. We want to live as an obedient community so that everybody gets blessed. We want to live in obedience because God has not done it because he said so, but because he saved us. We want to live in obedience in response to what God has done for us. And the truth is, we have a much longer story than the Israelites, right? I mean, they were living the first five books of the Bible. They didn't even have them. Think about what we would say now. Think about what God would say to us now. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am the Lord of God who raised up kings for you to lead you in a right and holy way. I am the Lord your God. I gave you prophets to call you back to holiness. I am the Lord your God. I gave you scripture. I am the Lord your God. I gave you my only son, Jesus Christ, so that he might die and live again so that you will be rescued from the house of slavery to sin and out of bondage to disobedience. I am the Lord your God. One of my colleagues had a student come in and uh, talk with her about something, and, and he said, you know, I really don't understand why Calvin's all hung up on sex and drinking. Like, what's the deal with that? He says, I, I don't see what the big deal is all the time. Like, what is the big deal about this all anyway? And my colleague paused for a minute and began to explain Why? But can you see the error in this person's thinking? Calvin's not hung up on sex and drinking. Doesn't that sound like because they said so? Do you see how this person was taking the rules and distancing them from the story? taking the rules and thinking because they said so, because they don't want me to have any fun. And so my colleague's response was to walk that person back into the story. To walk that person back into the story of a God who loves us so much that he saves us from our appetites, that he saves us from these things. And the best gift we give back to him is to take our bodies, minds, and souls and offer them back in obedience Anytime we find ourselves a little bit resentful about what God is inviting us to do in the area of obedience, we need to check, are we living the story? Are we remembering the story? One of the reasons why we have chapel every day and we've got dorm worship and we've got Bible studies and we have loft and some of the off-campus houses have worship and we've got verb and we've got reignite. Part of the reason we have all that is because we need to remember our story. Because as soon as we get detached from the story, we get detached from God's love for us and all the rules begin to sound like because he said so rather than because he saved us. So we gather here as community. We gather here as community to worship together, to remember our story, and to be invited into obedience as a gift back to the God who saves us. We read the law, we live the law, we love the law. Not because he said so, but because he saved us. Do you pray with me? Our oh God, we thank you above all today for you are the Lord our God. And you called us out of the house of bondage out of the house of slavery to sin. You delivered us through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You raised us with him in new life. And Lord, our lives are an offering back to you. Receive our obedience as a gift. Receive our obedience as joy. Remind us again of who we are in Christ. Remind us again of the power of our story. May we live obedient lives because you have saved us. And so we pray, God, that you will be our vision, that we will have riches of a life lived in you. For you are the high king of heaven, and you have won our victory. So be our vision for a good and holy life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.